0: Luke chapter 7. Please find your Bible, Luke chapter 7. We're still a couple of weeks away from starting our next Sunday night series, which will be in the book of Joshua. And for the past several weeks, I've just picked out some topics on Sunday night to speak about. And this evening, I'd like to speak to you about the issue of faith and having faith in God. Faith is actually what we operate on as Christians. And faith, you might say, is sort of the fuel that keeps us running. And whenever a Christian starts to run low on faith, the engine starts to sputter. And we'll never be as effective for God as we should be when our faith is not strong. And the faith that we have must be a faith that's placed correctly. That's absolutely essential for a Christian to have our faith in the right thing. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. I heard a story once about a a man named Bob who lived next to the Baptist church... And like many of the neighbors that live around our church, Bob didn't attend the Baptist church. And uh, Bob had a dog by the name of Scout. And one day, poor old Scout, the dog died. So Bob called up the Baptist preacher and he asked him, he said, Preacher, uh, I'd like you to help me out with a funeral for my dog Scout. Well, the preacher said, well, Bob, we, we really don't do things like that. But maybe the denomination up the street, maybe they can help you out. Just just give them a call. And he said, well, thank you for that advice. I believe I'll do that, Pastor. And he said, by the way, do you think that $5,000 is enough to pay them for the funeral service? And the Baptist preacher said, well, Bob, why didn't you tell me that Scout was a Baptist? <laughs> well, for a golden retriever to become a Baptist, that would take a lot of faith. It surely would. But one, one of the um, most famous Christian songs that has ever been written is the song Amazing Grace. Most of us call that the Baptist anthem because it certainly does uh, say something about Baptist theology. Many of the top recording stars of our generation have actually recorded that song, although I don't think that many of them really know what it actually means. But it's a great song. And the song was written by, as most of you know, a man by the name of John Newton. And John Newton was the captain of a slave trading ship in the 18th century And Newton was a very hard man. He was a man who treated his uh, slaves as subhuman creatures. You might even say he treated them worse than a dog. But one day, the gospel of Jesus Christ came to John Newton. And John Newton believed he committed his life to the Lord. And after he was converted, he began to think about how astonishing that the grace of God is... And while he was thinking on those thoughts, he penned those famous words that we all know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And of course, those of us here tonight who are saved, we are certainly convinced that grace is a very amazing thing. Grace is amazing. But grace is not something that actually amazes God. Because... That's God's character. It's part of God's character to give grace. And we find that the Scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. So God isn't amazed by grace, even though that we may be. Well, as we think about it, is there something that would amaze God or something that amazes Jesus? I think in the story that we'll read tonight that we will find that Jesus was amazed by a certain kind of faith. And we see this faith illustrated in the life of a man who was a Roman centurion. And the story is recorded for us here in Luke chapter 7. So I'd like for us to read this story tonight about amazing faith. It begins in verse number 1. So if you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's word. From Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse number 1. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, and that's speaking of Jesus, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue." Then Jesus went with them, and when he was not now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. We just ask you, Lord, that you might help us discover some things here about faith and the kind of faith that we ought to have in one, as we see here, that amazes Jesus. Blessing this service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like for you to look at this ninth verse once again. It says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And the word marveled there really gives us some insight and the key to the understanding of why this man's faith was so great and why that Jesus stood in amazement at the faith that this man had. Now, actually, the word marveled there in the Scriptures means to stand in amazement and wonder. There's only one other time in the Scripture where this particular word is used in connection with Jesus, and both times it has something to do with faith. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 6, the Bible tells us there that Jesus marveled at another time. And in that particular case, he wasn't marveled at a great faith, but the lack of faith. A lack of faith among his own people. And so this is quite a contrast that we see here. Because Jesus is amazed by the faith of this Gentile man. While he was amazed at the lack of faith of his own people, the Jews. Now Jesus had not found In all of his ministry, uh, such a bold statement of faith that was made by this person. Well, as we think about this centurion, we wonder what could it have been in the background of this man that he would have this kind of faith and he would impress Jesus with his faith. Well, as we look at it here, we know that he was a Roman soldier. I mentioned to you that he was a Gentile. A Roman centurion was one who was roughly in charge of about 100 soldiers. The qualification for a man who would be chosen as as a centurion was given by the Greek historian Polybius uh, in the history of Rome. And he wrote about centurions and he said, "...they must not be so much seekers after danger as men who can command, steady in action and reliable. They ought not to be over-anxious to rush into the fight. But when hard-pressed, they must be ready and hold their ground and die at their post." centurions were very often the experienced soldiers. They were the older soldiers. They were hardened. They're soldiers who had seen a lot of bloodshed and a lot of cruelty. And it surely was an amazing thing for Jesus to find this kind of faith that it talks about here in this particular man. Now, I want to talk about his faith tonight, and I'd like to use that as an example of the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. I want you to notice first of all this evening that amazing faith approaches Jesus as the only source of help. Look at verse number 2 and 3 again if you would please. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. Well, here the centurion has a real need in his life. This man had heard about Jesus, and his first act that he performed because, or when he heard about Jesus, when he had this need, was to call on Jesus. Jesus was the only one who could help him at this particular time. And so his first act is to enlist Jesus' assistance with the problem. His problem is he has a servant. This servant is sick, and not only is he sick, but the Bible tells us that he was near unto death. Without immediate help, this servant would die. And so this wasn't a time to call on somebody who didn't know what to do. It wasn't time to call on a physician, on a doctor who didn't know how to cure the problem. He had to have help immediately. And so he sent to Jesus because he believed that Jesus could help him with his problem. So here he is at a point of desperation and he calls on Jesus. So this man recognized that Jesus was the only one that he could go to. Jesus is the only one who had the help, kind of help that he needed. And the only way that he could approach Jesus was through his faith. And faith, friends, truly is what brings you into God's realm. Faith is what brings you into the realm where God operates and where God can help you with your problem. And if I could put it in this way, faith is what you trade on in the realm of God. Now, for example, if you go to the store, go up to the Safeway store, and you uh, pick out all the items that you'd like to buy, you put those in your grocery cart, and you go up to Jeff at Safeway, and you put all of the items there on, the, on, the, on that thing, that counter there, and he starts to add all that up. Well, when it comes time to pay for it, what do you do? We used to, we pulled out our wallets, and we pulled out money, and probably not too many people do that anymore. But you pull out money or you pull out a credit card or some kind of a plastic card that represents money, and that's what you pay with. Now, if you ask Jeff, can I pay you with something else, Jeff? I mean, really, I I got something else that I could give you, and I'd like to trade that for the groceries today. Well, I can tell you right now, he won't accept that. The Safeway store will not accept that because the only thing that they trade with is currency. They trade with money. And so when you come to God, you find the same thing is true. You can't bring anything to God but the currency of faith. Faith is not just one of the currencies that God trades with or one of the ways in which you can come to God. Faith is the only thing that you can come to God with and operate in his realm. So you might bring to God your best ideas... You might bring him your opinions. You might bring him the way that you think things ought to be done. But none of that's going to work because God only accepts faith. Now probably the most instructive verse that we find on faith is in Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 6. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the Bible is telling us that faith is essential to relationship with God. So you can't operate in God's sphere and you can't come into God's spiritual realm unless you have faith. Well, faith is a very important thing, but faith has to be applied in the right direction. Now, some people will say, well, faith is really all you need. If you just have faith, just have faith, everything will be all right. Well, that sounds real good, but it's actually not true. Because your faith is only as good as the object in which you place your faith. Now, we see this centurion, he he didn't just simply believe that his servant would get well. He wasn't trusting in the power of positive thinking. I just have faith, and I really believe it's going to happen. No, he had his faith in Jesus. Jesus was the object of his faith. And he knew, again, that Jesus was the only source of help in this time of need. Now, that fact was missed by the Jews. So many of them had a lack of faith. But this Gentile centurion really had a faith that amazed Jesus. Now, the second thing that I'd like you to notice about faith that amazes Jesus is that amazing faith focuses on the needs of others. Now, we notice here what the centurion asked for. Now, I'm sure that he had plenty of personal needs. There are many things that he really needed in his own life. But when he sent to Jesus, it was not for a selfish need. The thing that he had on his mind was the welfare of his servant. His servant is sick, and so he focused on that need. Have you ever noticed that many times when we go to the Lord in prayer that the thing we focus on is our needs? We begin our prayers with, Bless me, bless me, bless me, give me, give me, give me, Lord. And not too many times do we really have a broken heart over the needs of others. There's a song that we used to sing. I haven't heard it much anymore or for a long time. But the verse goes like this. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way, that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. So we have to be very careful that our prayers are not consumed simply with praying for ourselves. And a prayer that never goes beyond, bless me, bless me, bless me, and give me, give me, give me, that's a very dangerous prayer because it doesn't focus on others' needs, it only focuses on us. And here's something else that you'll find here as you study this passage. You can't ignore a very important thing here, and it's something that we call the doctrine of vicarious faith. Now, maybe most of you don't even know what I mean by that. When I talk about vicarious faith, maybe that's a strange term, but vicarious faith is when one person's faith is used for the benefit of another. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's possible for someone else to believe savingly for you. You have to put your own personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody can do that for you. But there is a kind of faith that God uses for the benefit of others. Now, you'll notice here that it's the faith of the centurion on the behalf of this dying slave that really amazed Jesus. And the slave ends up being completely healed. And yet that slave never met Jesus. Jesus never even got to that man's house. And yet this man was healed. Well, you know, that's a miracle that would be so much easier for us to explain if if this servant spoke to Jesus himself, if he saw Jesus and said to him, Jesus, would you please heal me? That would be a whole lot easier to explain. We have lots of other examples in the Scripture where that very thing happened, where people spoke to Jesus and they asked him for healing. But here's a case where this man never even saw Jesus. And the thing that made this, his, this, this, this man become whole and become well is because this centurion had a concern for him, had a need. He knew the man had a need. He asked Jesus for help. And it was the faith of the centurion that actually caused Jesus to release that healing power. Well, does Jesus regard one person's faith for the, on behalf of another? Well, I believe most certainly he does your prayers in faith believing that Jesus can heal someone or that Jesus can save someone, did you know that that might be the very instrument that God uses? And so I would say to any person here, never give up on someone who's sick, never give up on someone who's lost that you want to see saved, because God will use your prayers, your faith in believing as the instrument that he uses to heal that person or to bring that person to Christ. So, when a person has a very desperate situation in their life, always pray in faith believing because your prayers are what God uses. You might remember the story that we find in the New Testament of the four friends that were brought, or four friends that brought their friend, a paralyzed man, to see Jesus. And you remember in that story that they went to the place where Jesus was and they couldn't get in, there was a crowd that surrounded the house. So these men went up on the roof and they tore off the roof of the house and they let that man down into the presence of Jesus. Do You remember what Jesus said in that instance? He said, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, you might be sitting there scratching your head and wondering about this and saying, Pastor, I don't really understand that. I don't understand the whole issue of having faith for the need of other people. Well, I don't understand it all either. I really don't. But that doesn't stop me from exercising the very thing that God uses to help other people. What does God use? He uses my faith. And Jesus is always amazed by this unselfish faith that we have when we consider the needs of others before we consider our own. Well, here's a third thing about faith that amazes Jesus that we find here. Amazing faith is accompanied by acts of kindness. As you read the passage, you have to be impressed with this centurion. I mean, after all, he impressed Jesus, so we have to be impressed with him. And you know something? He impressed the Jewish people. He impressed those people because they're the ones that went to Jesus with the need. He sent them to Jesus. And when they went to went to Jesus to tell him about the, the need that this man had, they, they said two very special things about him. Look at verse number 4. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. So these Jews pointed out something. They said, this centurion loves our people. He loves the Jewish people. And that was a very highly unusual thing. What was usually the case between the Jews and the Roman soldiers was nothing but pure animosity. They normally hated one another. And we could understand that. I mean, who wants a foreign nation to occupy your land? Look at Iraq and see how they like foreign occupation. And so pretty much... The Jews and the Romans, they hated one another. But then they said something else about this Roman centurion. He backed up his love for the Jews by building them a synagogue. They said, he built us a synagogue. Now, that doesn't mean that he paid for it because the centurion would never have that kind of money. But what it must mean is he directed his soldiers to help the Jewish people, help them build their synagogue. So what this man was doing, he was looking past his prejudice He was looking past the fact that these are people who, in other instances, would have hated him. They had no affinity for one another. They didn't love one another, certainly not. But this man is willing to look past prejudice and to help somebody who has a need. Now, maybe you need to consider that. Maybe there's somebody who perhaps is not of your color, or somebody who's not from the same side of the tracks on which you live, and they need your help. There are times that we need to look past our prejudices for the needs of others and and think about acts of kindness and doing acts of kindness for other people. Now, another interesting aspect of this amazing faith is that we see here that good works are not the cause of faith. Good works are actually the fruits of faith. Now, this centurion didn't perform these kinds of acts of kindness in order to produce faith. He had this amazing faith, which produced his acts of kindness. And do you know that's really what happens in the heart of a Christian? When a person receives Christ as their Savior, his faith begins to produce good works. How do you tell if a person is a Christian? You look at the works they do. You look at the things and that they do and how they live their lives. And that's how you tell that person is a Christian. And if you have a faith, if you claim to have faith in Christ and your faith never produces acts of kindness, then you need to check up on what kind of faith that you really have. A person who's saved, a born-again believer, his faith will produce these acts of kindness. Do you know that this is really the difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world? In other religions, people have to act in order to be acceptable with their God. And so they'll do all kinds of religious acts trying to please their God. But you know, in Christianity, this is the only religion where we have been made acceptable with God. We're already acceptable with God, and that's why we do acts of kindness. Now, that kind of faith is an amazing thing. There is no religion that produces the same kinds of acts of kindness like Christianity. Who is it when you think about it? Who is it that does all the benevolent works around the world? Did you ever hear a, a, a vast outpourings of kindness and generosity among Muslim people? Did you ever hear about that? You know, I haven't seen that. I, I've seen people cringe in fear because of that religion, and rightly so. But I've never seen outpourings and acts of kindness throughout the world because of that religion. Most of the time when the Muslims ever help anyone, it's because the Christian or mostly Christian nations, shame them into doing that. Predominantly Christian countries are the one who encourage the rest of the world to do this. And why is that? It's because we've learned these acts of kindness because our teacher did the same thing. Our teacher taught us that. He taught us something that no other teacher taught, and he gave us his example to follow. I want you to listen to Paul's words in Titus chapter 3. He says, For we ourselves are also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly. Through Jesus Christ our Savior. So, this is a good question for all of us. Have we practiced acts of kindness? Have we been kind to someone lately? And a person with the kind of faith that Jesus produces and that Jesus gives is one who will perform acts of kindness. Now, we come to the fourth thing about faith that amazes Jesus that we see here, and that is amazing faith reflects an attitude of humility. Now, I want you to notice something very special uh, in this account here of the centurion. There's a great difference between what the Jewish elders had to say about him and what he said about himself. Now, go back to verse 4 one more time. The, these Jews are speaking to Jesus. It says, "...and when they came to Jesus, they besought him, instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this." So, their opinion of this man, he's a worthy person. And Jesus, you ought to help him because he's a worthy person. But let's skip down to the last part of verse 6. Now the centurion is speaking about himself. He says, Lord, trouble not thyself. Listen, for I am not worthy. I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. You ever see humility like that? That kind of faith amazed Jesus. Here, This man didn't beat on his chest. And he didn't say, look what I've done. Look what I did for the Jews. Jesus, you need to help me because I'm a great man. I've done many wonderful works, many good things. So, Jesus, you need to help me. And sometimes that's the attitude that we get. We think so many times we absolutely deserve the blessings of God. You ever heard somebody who's going through a tough time and they may say something like that, why is God doing this to me? Why does God let this happen? I don't deserve that. And you know what they're actually saying? I deserve Better than this. We've got to hold on a minute here. I mean, do we really, do any of us really deserve the blessings of God? And so sometimes we come to God with an attitude of self worth, we come with the attitude of self confidence, and we act as if we're going to flash our personal resume before God and we're going to demand that we be accepted by Him, we're going to demand that He give us His attention. And people, when you pray like that, if that's the attitude that you have, it's no wonder that heaven gets shut up against our prayers. You can't come to God with that kind of an attitude. The attitude that God honors is one that says, I'm not worthy, God, that you should even come under my roof. I'm not worthy. Once there was a group of tourists that was visiting the home where Beethoven, the great composer Beethoven, lived a few years before he died. And as the tour group was making their way through his house, they came to the conservatory where the piano that Beethoven used stood. And as, they, as the guide brought the people in there, there was one tourist, a lady, who pushed her way up to the front. She sat down at Beethoven's piano and she began to play one of his sonatas. Well, she turned to the guide, she stopped and she turned to the guide. She said, well, I suppose that there are a lot of people just like me who want to sit down and play Beethoven's piano. And the guide said to her, well, ma'am, last year... There was a group here with the great Paderewski. And they asked him if he would sit down and play Beethoven's piano. And the great Paderewski said, I'm not worthy. He wouldn't play. I'm not worthy. That's the attitude of the centurion. And that also ought to be our attitude. God, I'm not worthy to receive anything good from you. And folks, I tell you, I rejoice every day that God does not give me what I deserve. God doesn't give me the things that I'm worthy of. If I got what I deserved and got what I was truly worthy of, I know that I'd have to spend eternity in hell. I've never done anything, not a thing, that would ever earn the goodness and the grace of God or anything that God gives me. So we have to be like the centurion. None of us are worthy that God should even enter into our house. Someone said, the Christian life is not a performance, it's a relationship. It's not about being good enough to be accepted by God. It's about being honest enough with myself and God to admit that I will never be good enough to earn God's acceptance. When I understand that with all my failures, with all of my anger, with all of my lust, with all of my dysfunctions, with all of my stupidity, I am loved by God more than I will ever be able to comprehend I cannot come to God wearing a mask. Humble honesty is the beginning of a great adventure with God. And so a faith, that ama- a faith that amazes Jesus reflects this attitude of humility. Well, the next thing we see here is that amazing faith understands spiritual authority. There's a very important statement that Centurion ma- makes here, and we want to be careful that we don't miss it. In verse number 8, the centurion says, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Well, why does the centurion say, I also am a man set under authority? Why doesn't he just say to Jesus, I'm the one who's in charge here. I'm the one who orders people around. I tell everybody what they need to do. Well if he'd said that Jesus probably wouldn't have been too amazed with his faith. You see the centurion understood authority in a way that truly amazed Jesus. Here's the key to this thing. Authority is not one way. Authority's a two-way street. And only those who are under authority can understand how to exercise the authority that God gives. So this centurion, he recognizes Jesus is one under under authority. He was a man under authority. He had a captain over him. He had someone to whom he was responsible. And so he recognized Jesus also has an authority. Now, really, this is something that is so uncommon and something that most people never would have recognized because this centurion saw the man, saw Jesus, as one who had voluntarily submitted himself to the will of his heavenly Father. Even though Jesus was co-equal, he was co-eternal with his Father, and let Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father's will, and he was a person also under authorities, under the Father's authority. Well, the centurion also recognized that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease, and he also understood that Jesus only has to do one thing, speak the word, give his command. And that servant would be healed. Just give an order and it will happen. Now, just as that centurion got his authority from a higher power, he recognized that Jesus had access to higher authority. Here's the thought I don't have time to develop tonight. But in this world, God has set up a chain of authority. One of the chains of authority that God has is in the home. I don't have time to develop that. But God has a chain of authority in the home. God also has a chain of authority in the church. And whenever we try to upset the chain of authority, either in the home or in the church, trust me on this, bad things happen. And we see it in our society today. You can't upset God's authority. Chaos and misery are the result of it. Remember in the movie Forrest Gump? Everybody seen that movie? Forrest Gump was in the army, and he's talking to the drill sergeant. The drill sergeant asked him, Gump? what's your sole purpose for being in the army? And he said, to do whatever you tell me, drill sergeant, sir. And that's exactly what a Christian has to be. Our sole purpose as the people of God is to do exactly what God tells us. Obey the orders. That's a mark of amazing faith. And that's why Jesus said, you know, I've not found so great faith. But now finally, and probably the most important thing that we can learn about faith in this lesson is that amazing faith rests on God's Word and not visible evidence. In that great chapter on faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Did the centurion have that kind of faith? Well, let's look at it. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house... The centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. Listen to what he says. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. So here we see Jesus. He's on his way to the house. He's coming to heal the centurion's servant. Jesus is doing what Jesus always does. Somebody put out a call for help. Someone needed him, and so Jesus responded. He's on his way to the house, and that's the way Jesus always is. Whenever you call on him, you always find that he's ready there. He's always ready to help you. All you have to do is call his name, say the word, and Jesus will come. And this centurion knew, as Jesus was nearing the house, he knew what Jesus could do. And so he sends word to Jesus, and he tells them, tells Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. You don't have to make it all the way here. Lord, I know this. All that you need to do is just speak the word and my servant will be healed. So the centurion, he didn't actually have to see Jesus come and lay hands on the servant. He didn't have to hear any incantations being said before the man could be healed. He didn't have to hear Benny Hen come and speak in tongues over him and blow on him in order for him to be healed. His faith told him that all that Jesus needed to do is speak the words and his servant would be healed. What is faith? Well, Hebrews said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is something that enables you to believe in God even when you don't see any evidence. Faith is being certain of things for which you have no rational reason at all to be certain. Great faith never says, God, show me some kind of sign. Show me something. Show me a miracle. Let me hear about some tongues. Let somebody speak in tongues and then I'll believe. Let me see somebody throw their crutches away. And I'll believe when I see that. Real faith says, no, God, I believe it just simply because you said it. And so what amazing faith does, it rests simply upon the word of God. There are no emotions involved in this. Great faith doesn't rest on your emotions. It doesn't rest on any visible evidence that you would see. And so the centurion had amazing faith. Now, in the 10th verse, we find out what this amazing faith did. It says, and they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Now, to really understand what's being said there, you have to recognize who wrote this account. Who was it that wrote this down? And the person who wrote about it was Luke. Everybody know what Luke's occupation was? Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. Exactly right. And so Luke, as a doctor, was called upon in the course of his employment, his normal occupation, to do what doctors do. He comes, he evaluates the problem, he prescribes the medicine, he sees what's wrong and tries to fix that. And so whatever Luke has to say about this, it must be pertinent. Because Luke can now give us a doctor's opinion about what happened. It's a medical opinion. So Luke says, they found the servant whole. And the word whole there is actually a very rare medical word. It's a word that was only used by doctors. And he described this. He said he's whole, which is a word that means wholeness in body and in spirit. Now, we praise the Lord for this, that when Jesus heals a person, he takes care of the whole man. They went back and they found out that this servant is healed of the physical disease... He was right near to death, but now he's healed from that. But we notice something else about this word, because when Luke used the word whole, he's speaking more than about the physical. He's also speaking of the spiritual man. Here's the thing that the word whole means. He's physically well, but he's also become a saved man. How did that happen? How did that happen? Jesus never came there. He never saw Jesus. He never spoke to him. And yet the word indicates here that now he is a believer in Jesus. He saved himself. Well, the Bible doesn't describe about how all that happened. But here's what I think happened. I think that this man knew that they went looking for Jesus. He knew the probable time that they found Jesus. And then when all of a sudden he went from being deathly sick to well, he knew that that must have been Jesus. And so he trusted him. He believed in him. And that man was saved. Now, let me say to everybody here in the room tonight, you don't have to see Jesus to know that he's real. I've been a Christian for 45 years, and I'll testify to you tonight, I've never seen with my eyes, I've never seen with physical sight, never seen Jesus. But I don't have any doubt that Jesus is real. I don't have any doubt that he's alive, and I know it because Jesus lives right inside of my heart. Recently, I received an email from Lino, And this was kind of an interesting email. But this letter said, One day a a six-year-old girl was sitting in a classroom. The teacher was going to explain evolution to the children. The teacher asked a little boy, Tommy, do you see the tree outside? Yes. Tommy, do you see the grass outside? Yes. Tommy, go outside and look up and see if you can see the sky. Tommy said, okay. And he went out, he looked up and came back a few minutes later. He said, yes, teacher, I see the sky. And the teacher said, well, Tommy, did you see God up there? No. The teacher said, well, that's my point. We can't see God because he isn't there. Possibly he doesn't even exist. Well, there was a little girl in the class that she spoke up, and she wanted to ask Tommy some questions also. The teacher agreed, and so the little girl asked Tommy, Tommy, do you see the tree outside? Yes. Tommy, do you see the grass outside? Yes. Tommy, do you see the sky? Yes. Tommy, do you see the teacher? Yes. Do you see her brain? No. I said, Tommy, according to what we've been taught today, she possibly does not even have one. <laughs> well, I don't see Jesus now, I don't see him. But I know this that by faith, one day I will see God. My faith is going to end in sight. That's what the Scripture says. One day all the evidence will become visible to me, and I'll stand before God, and I will thank Him for His amazing grace. I want to ask you that tonight. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that He's real? Do you have a kind of faith that amazes Jesus? I hope that you do. Maybe we could change the words of the song a little bit and talk about amazing faith, and Jesus could probably sing the song Himself. Amazing faith, how sweet the sight, that trust alone my saving might. I hope that you have that kind of faith, a real faith that amazes Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this great story that we read from the New Testament. Lord, we see the faith that this man had, and we just ask you, Lord, help us to have that kind of faith. Help us to have a faith that works in us, a faith that We believe without any evidence at all. We know that you're real. We know that you're alive. Help us to have a faith that is concerned about the needs of others and a faith that works out through acts of kindness. And Lord, we also pray that we may have a faith that produces in us humility. We know that we're nothing. And the only goodness, the only righteousness, the only thing that we have is all attributed to you and your work in us. Bless our people tonight in this time of invitation. Lord, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.